We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at New Smile. Just use the code PROSPORTS to get $150 off any of their teeth aligning kits. So turn up the dial on your smile with New Smile. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Nee Wallace Bruce, aka NWB. And today's a great day. We're going to take a deep dive, a literal deep dive into the world of aquatics and the sport of diving itself. So without any further ado, let's bring out our guest, US Olympic gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson. Laura, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on. And You've had quite a journey through the sport of diving. Take us through that. Oh, gosh, where do we begin? A long, long time ago. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, back in 1993, I was 15 years old is is when I started and went to three Olympic Games, won a bunch of stuff, retired for nine years, decided to jump back in and compete again. And yeah, it's been kind of a roller coaster, but but a good one. Yeah. And yeah, that's quite a, a journey. I guess that's almost like life in itself. (laughs) <laughs> right. The life of diving. Exactly. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you started off as a gymnast. Is that right? I did. I saw Mary Lou Retton win in 1984 and just thought that was the best thing ever. And I wanted that perfect 10 ending. So that's that's why I started uh, gymnastics. And I absolutely loved it. But, you know, and I was okay. But I, by the time I got to be about 13, um, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be as good as I wanted to be because I should have been better at that, at that time. And so, you know, and I didn't want to... I don't know. I just the the thought of just competing in college wasn't what I wanted. Like I had that Olympic dream. And so I kind of thought, well, I got to find something else that I can go to the Olympics in, you know, because that Olympic dream wasn't dying. I just realized I needed to find a different avenue to get there. And so I I tried a whole bunch of different sports, you know, track and softball and tennis. And I ended up being on like the dance team our freshman year of high school as I was looking for other stuff. And it was finally the end of my my ninth grade year um, that I ran into some ex-gymnast friends that had started diving. And they're like, you need to come try this. And I mean, I fell in love, like first step on the pool deck. It was outside and the trees, the sunshine, music is blaring and people were doing gymnastics into the water. And I was like, I'm home. <laughs> like, this mm. is totally for me. Fantastic. And I guess you never turned back. No, I mean, I, I literally fell in love with it. And it, it's funny because like the end of my gymnastics career, you know, I, fear started to become a huge issue. That I was scared to do certain things. But when I started diving, Everything was scary, but I saw the potential in it. And so I think that that just made me more courageous. And so I was willing to try things that were way beyond, I thought, what my fear level was in gymnastics, but I was willing to do it anyway. And it was definitely a scary and exciting road, but but it was cool because I was in this group of ex-gymnasts who'd all started a little bit before me. So we kind of got to do it together. And I think that made it pretty special. And we were, we were competitive with each other, but like in a good, healthy way, like egging each other on and, mm. you know, I can do this. Can you do this? And, and so we all got really good really quickly. And so that, that was a really cool way to start. And just on the, the point of training, because like you said, what we see on TV may look like 
something so simple and so easy, but that takes a lot of training and I'm oh, sure yeah. hours of training each day. How many hours a day roughly would you be putting into diving? <laughs> Good question. When I was kind of at the peak back in the day, we would probably do six to eight hours. You know, and that that includes time in the dry land room, like where we're doing stretching and gymnastics type drills, like flips and a lot of core exercises, entry work, like drills. And then there's time in the water. There's weight training or Pilates or visualization and video study. So there's a lot of different things that you do throughout the day. But six to eight hours a day, generally six days a week is what we were doing at peak. Yeah. And and it's funny you say that because there was a big meme going around during this this recent Olympic Games that I love that it was like, I think they should put an average person doing the sport before each event so that we understand how hard what they're yes. doing really is. <laughs> I've seen that meme and I co-signed that. In I fact, love it. Let's have a full games. <laughs> the average games is where we all these people that think it's just so easy and so simple. Let's get them out there doing these events <laughs> right. a week before the Olympics. And then, yeah, that'll that settle it. That would be it. hilarious. I would love it. Because I, I guess that's the thing. That's the thing. When it comes to being successful or, as saying in inverted quotes, an overnight success, mm-hmm. there's still a build-up and a work that you've got to put in an effort that a lot of people don't see. Right. Correct. Right. I mean, it's just like a musician or an actor where everybody's like, wow, this person's amazing. They just came on the scene, but they've probably been doing it for 10, 15 years, you know, and they've had all of these little things that they've been doing along the way to finally, you know, air quotes, break through Mm. so that the public sees it, you know. So it's, you know, there were some old commercials back in the day too with Michael Phelps and the gymnast. It was like, what you do in the dark puts you in the light. And I think that is so well said because for years and years, you're doing this blood, sweat and tears that nobody is seeing the results of, but maybe you. And it's and it's hard when you're in it day in and day out to really see how far you've come. So when you have those breakthroughs, sometimes people on the outside, are, they're so amazed, but you're like, okay, this is what I've been doing for a very, very long time. <laughs> right. I guess it's recognition of the the work that's put in, but is that is that something that is that something that's a bonus to you, or neither here nor there? I th- I think it's nice, to, you know, it's nice to be appreciated for what you're proud of and what you've been working so hard for. But for me, I just I just love doing it, and sometimes it's just as satisfying to hit that big dive in a practice, and like your coach and a couple of teammates are cheering. It it feels just as good to me as when you do that in a huge competition, because for me the reward is like doing it well, you mm. know, and that feeling of accomplishment. And you know, when you can do it on a bigger stage and people recognize that, that's nice. But I think if that's all you're going for, you're going to be, there's going to be a lot of emptiness in you mm-hmm. if you can't find satisfaction or joy in the journey, you know, and, and, and loving the grind. Yeah. So I guess there's a sense of inner confidence there, inner strength. As yeah, well. for sure. So just staying in that vein, tell us a little bit about your book. Uh, yeah. Yes. On confidence. Yeah. Um, it's called Life at 10 Meters, Lessons from an Olympic Champion. And it's not like an autobiography. I really just, I kind of wrote it as I came back after my retirement and I was starting again. Um, and it was kind of therapeutic actually, like as I was relearning some of my dives up on the 10 meter platform for the first time in nine years or so, I was actually writing about, you know, breaking through fear and learning these very dives. And and so it was, it was really cool to kind of write about some lessons that I learned throughout my diving journey and a, and a little bit of the experience. It's not this super in-depth book, but it's really 
these lessons that I feel like I learned in sport that have actually helped me in life outside of the sport. And something really cool, when we got our first like preview book, my daughter, I I have four children and my oldest, she's 10 years old. She picked it up right away and just flew through it. She read it so fast and she was really excited about it. I just didn't expect that. I don't know why. But she was telling me all these stories she didn't know about me and the things she really liked. And she picked up stuff that she sees day in and day out, but for some reason made a bigger connection when she saw it written out in story form. And so it's provided these really cool discussions for us about like facing challenges and how do you deal with things and, you know, when the chips are down or you're in a lot of pain, like what can you do? And so I just kind of encourage parents to, I mean, read it for yourselves, but like read it with your kids as Mm. well because they they can understand it. Diving is a great thing because any sports actually, it just such a good analogy for life. So when you're reading these sports lessons, you can talk to your kids about, okay, how do we apply this to our everyday life? Or how do I apply this to my sport or whatever activity that I'm doing? And I think it can be really good um, in that way. Fantastic. And not just that. I mean, even in the the global situation that we're in, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as well as I do, that the pandemic has has been a challenge, there's been restrictions. In your opinion, how can we I guess, build back confidence or maintain confidence in these times? Yeah, I would say, number one, turn off the news. <laughs> yeah. I think the news, I mean, because it's like depressing 24 hours a day. And the, the more you listen to that, that's what you're internalizing. And so to turn some of that off sometimes and just kind of be in your own space and remember why you're doing what you're doing. I think having a why, having a reason, because that's what gets me out of bed on the days I don't want to get out of bed when I'm tore, I'm sore and I'm tired and I just don't want to do it. Like if I have a why and I have a reason, that's what keeps you going when things are tough. And so write that on your bathroom mirror, write it, you know, stick it on a note on your refrigerator, put it somewhere that you're going to see it multiple times a day and remember why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that really helps kind of get that motivation back and that drive and that determination. It helps you dig your heels in and really stand firm, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that that visualization is really important. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, in the lead up to Sydney, you had your own visualization going on. You set up a collage with some pictures and cutouts. Oh, yeah. 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 We did a lot of things. But that was something that kind of kept me going because I had left um, university. I had left my college scholarship and I came home to train so that I could train full time. And none of my friends were there. I was very alone. I was living alone. I felt very isolated. And so I I took this big poster board and I started cutting out strips for magazines and these like sayings that I liked and pictures that, you know, felt motivational for me. I think I have a picture of Michael Jordan holding the world in his hands, you know, like things like that. And, Mm. And I started making this, this collage on this big poster. And I would just do a little bit every day or every couple of days. And it just would get my mind in the right place. It would it would force me to kind of look for these motivational things when maybe I wasn't feeling super motivated. So it, you know, even subconsciously, I think it just kind of played a big role in keeping me focused and um, really keeping that drive toward my goal. Nice. Mm-hmm. And as you may have detected from my accent, I'm not North American. I actually grew up in Australia <laughs> myself. Awesome. So I am curious, how did you find Sydney? Oh, I loved it. Well, first of all, I love the people. First, I love your accents. <laughs> and everybody's so nice. If you ask for directions, a lot of times people wouldn't just give you directions. They're like, eh, I'll take you over there. I mean, people were just above and beyond. I I loved it. I got after the Olympics, I actually got to do the Sydney Harbor Bridge climb too at night. And that was spectacular. So yeah, I have a, a big heart for Australia. I've gotten to go there quite a few times. So mm-hmm. 
Amazing. And it's obviously the pinnacle, I guess, of the of your diving <laughs> career. Gold. Yes. yes. So how did that feel? I mean, not many of us can say that we've won a gold medal, let alone an Olympic gold medal, but you've done it. So please share with our listeners that experience, if you don't mind. I mean, it's kind of surreal. You know, I, I didn't know I didn't know I was in the lead. I didn't know I was winning the contest because I had been behind for the majority of it. And I guess in the third round of five dives, I hit a dive and everybody else missed that was ahead of me. And so I couldn't see the scoreboard. So I had no idea that I was in the lead at that point, but I knew I was at least within striking distance. I knew I had to be close now and I actually had a shot. And so, you know, the last two dives, they were they were good, but going into our last round, I was still in the lead and I knew it was going to be a good dive. It was a dive I was very comfortable with. I just didn't know how good. And I still didn't know I was in the lead, but I still knew I was doing well and I had to be in the hunt. And there was this moment where I realized before that last dive, I was standing on the 10 meter, that I was living my dream. And mm. like how many people get the opportunity to do that? And then how many people recognize in that moment that they're actually doing it? And I, I have this like panoramic picture in my head of where my coach was, where my teammates were, where my family was in the stands, how the pool looked all lit up and, and the stands looked kind of in the dark. Like it was just this this moment, I have this snapshot in my head that I have just taken with me because I knew whatever was about to happen, whether I ended up first or I ended up fifth, didn't really matter. In that moment, I was living the dream, the thing I had dreamed about since I was like eight years old. And so that's the moment that I really took away with me. But it was cool because after I went, we had to wait for the last four girls to go. And again, I couldn't see the scores, but I could see my coach and he could see the scoreboard. And so after each girl went, he would turn around like fist pump and be like, yeah. And so I didn't know. I just knew that meant we were in the medals. I didn't know it meant we were winning. And he came running over after the last girl went and just picked me up and kept turning around. I was like, what What place did we get? And he just kept going, we did it. We did it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, we did it. <laughs> you know, We actually won. It, it took me a few minutes to kind of realize that. So that was pretty special. And, and being on the top of the award stand, it still feels so surreal. It, it's, it seems to happen so fast. You know, I was so busy looking for my family in the audience that I, I didn't even realize they had started the anthem. So I just didn't know where we were in the song. I just sat there and kind of tried to soak it in. And, you know, as, as fast as it comes, it goes and it's just over. It's like you wait your whole life for this moment. And then just like the snap of the fingers, that's it. So you really got to make sure you're enjoying every moment um, because so quickly they're just memories. No doubt about it. One time, you're up there, and the next, it's, it's finished. Mm -hmm. Pro Sports Podcasters is currently accepting applications for sponsors. We would love to have you on our program as one of its sponsors, and we will definitely do our best to highlight your product or service on our platforms. Now, speaking of moments, I, I need to introduce our, there's, there's a third member today, and right. it's my co-host, Kobe, Colbert Durand. Laura, Kobe is actually in transit at the moment. He's traveling across Ontario, but he's he's been able to join us. So awesome. Yeah. We're just talking about we were just talking about Laura's experience at Sydney, two thousand. Kobe, do you have any questions? I was just wondering if you actually saw the uh, the perfect ten that's posted by Olympic driver from China, Huang Chan, and what you thought of those. 
Oh, yeah. She was spectacular. And I, I mean, even in slow motion, we couldn't find things wrong with it. And, and normally the Chinese can have kind of weird form breaks or do some funky stuff. Even in slow motion, she was perfection. I feel like she earned every 10 that she got. It was absolutely outstanding. And, and one of our American broadcasters, I think, said it perfectly, like, remember this because you may never see anything like it again. It was absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. And do you have any other takeaways from the Tokyo games that just finished? I have a lot of them, <laughs> but I don't know where we want to go with this. I'm I'm just I'm really happy overall that they were able to have an Olympic Games and get it done and that the athletes got their chance to compete and got their moment. I'm really heartbroken that there were there was nobody in the stands and that families couldn't be there. So, you know, a lot of mixed emotions about the games, but I am happy that that it, it got to go forward. Nice. So you, yeah, just staying with the games, what made you prefer, I guess, the 10 meter over the three meter? What's, what are some of the differences between those, um, apart from the height, obviously, are there any nuances in terms of the diving style? Definitely. And I, I used to do both. So the springboard is the three meter and, and you use the board and it moves. So there's like a rhythm and a timing with it. And a lot of times it takes people longer to get better at the springboard because it takes so long to learn that patience and learn that rhythm and how to kind of ride with the board. Whereas the platform, it's higher and scarier and you can have maybe worse accidents on on the bottom of the dive, but the top is stable. So it's very you can have very consistent takeoffs. So it's easier in that sense. Um, so they're just different challenges. And I, I was pretty decent on the springboard. I didn't do really hard dives down there, but I was really consistent. Um, so I was always in the top three at NCAAs. I'd won our nationals. And and I was qualified to Olympic trials in, in 2000 for that as well. But when I broke my foot, I broke my foot three months before our Olympic trials and I couldn't, I broke three bones and I should say like the ball of my foot. So oh. I couldn't, couldn't bend the springboard. I like physically could not do that. So we decided to just stay with platform. I was stronger in that event anyway. So I came back a little bit in 2005 and played on springboard and I actually made world championships as a synchro team on springboard. But then my partner, unfortunately, had an accident during her individual event and hit her face on the board and we didn't get to compete. Ouch. And so that was really my last time that I was competing springboard. So <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. She's doing great now though. Okay, good. Yeah, that's scary. Uh <laughs> it was very scary. And she was young, but she came back and had an amazing collegiate career. And so she yeah, she came back strong after that. Fantastic. That's just about not not the setback, the comeback. Exactly. That's what it's all about. Now, you touched on uh, Chong Hong Chan, when Kobe was with us, unfortunately mm -hmm. Kobe had to um, leave us. He's <laughs> he's in transit. But were there any other moments from the diving competition or any other athletes that really stood out to you? Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, always the men's platform to me is is always the most amazing event. And and Tom Daly won the synchronized event with his partner Maddie and that was so cool to see him finally get his Olympic gold medal and we were hoping that he was going to get it in the individual as well he was diving phenomenally but the contest was just I mean it was lights out the top three divers were absolutely insane Tom ended up with a bronze it was still so exciting to watch all of that I love seeing Krista Palmer who's one of our American divers um, she got a bronze on the three meter springboard and she's you know relatively new she was a trampolinist actually and didn't start diving until the age of 20 and she made our Olympic trials in 2016 on platform and then came back as a springboard diver you know these last I guess five years now and has been to some world championships but you know final never 
never really anything super amazing, but man, going through trials in the Olympic Games, she was so consistent and on fire. It was it was really fun to watch that. And she was just so in awe that she was on the Olympic podium. Um, it was just really sweet to watch her reaction. Yeah, for sure. And just staying with that, Tom Daly, I mean, he's a personality. I'm not going to lie. I guess he, <laughs> he has kind of helped put the spotlight on diving a little bit through mm-hmm. his, yeah, just being himself. But he actually prevented a sweep because, if I'm not mistaken, China swept gold in the women's competition and they were about to do so in the men's, but mm-hmm. daily prevent. So I've got to ask, what makes the Chinese so good at diving? Yeah, I mean, because they've done that quite a bit. They've, they've won six or seven events out of many of the last Olympiads. And so they're very dominant. I mean, I think it's honestly, they get handpicked at a young age that you'd be good at the sport and they they train them up at it. And that's their focus over school. I mean, they do do schooling, but their focus is their sport. And so they, they grow up kind of in this machine, you know, in this this program that really just produces phenomenal athletes like that. And they all have the same techniques and the same actions that they do. So they, they synchronize really easy with each other where in a lot of other countries we all have our own style our coaches all coach a little bit different you know so there's yeah there's just a lot of differences in in that way they're they're very much more kind of like this what's the word I'm looking for I don't know it's just kind of they're they're duplicating a lot of the very same like very similar styles and I think that that gives them that consistency and that depth Mm, right and it's something to look forward to I do I I must say I do look forward to seeing the diving events at the Olympics because there's a it's a combination of almost gymnastics and, and like poise as as well as focus mm-hmm. to be able to perform and make the dive make it look so elegant. It's mm-hmm. that's something I most definitely could not do. <laughs> so I have a great appreciation for what yourself and other divers go through. Well, thank you. But. I have to put on my national hat for a second because I, I know that Melissa Wu, Melissa oh, Wu yes. hit the podium again. So that's yes. great to see for Australia. You know that, and she was so exciting because she won a silver, I think it was back in 2008 in Synchro, right? Yeah, that's and right. And so for her, she has been working so hard all these years to do that individually. And to see her just be able to stand there on that podium and get that individual medal, she was so consistent the entire time too. You know, and she's always kind of been in the mix, but she has battled so many injuries over the past few years and just kept coming back and kept, you know, finding um, ways outside of the box to get stronger and to rehab. And I, I love watching her journey. She's really inspiring and encouraging. And she posts like all of her stuff on Instagram. And yeah, I've just, I've been rooting for her for such a long time. That was definitely a spotlight and a treat for me as well. Fantastic. And being in Canada, I should bring up the <laughs> the, the, the duo of Jennifer Abel and Moses Citroni Beaulieu. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they won silver in the springboard, mm-hmm. the three meter. Now, as an American, is, is there much crossover with the Canadians in terms of diving or is it more we do our stuff, you do yours? <laughs> Are you talking about like friendships or a little bit of both? Like, do you catch up with the Canadians or? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah diving, diving is a really small sport in that way, and especially at that elite level, it tends to be the same group of athletes that you see at a lot of the international competitions. So you really actually do form kind of tight friendships with them, and with social media, you can stay connected. You know, kind of between the competitions now. So there's definitely yeah a lot of friendships with with most of the countries. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. And one thing that has intrigued me, but I guess that I've learned through this year of the, the Olympics um, is that some sports they have 
professional leagues that happen. Mm-hmm. Is there a professional diving league or a, a, a diving circuit that happens in between the Olympic cycle? There's not. I mean, that would be really cool. I know swimming's kind of got a pro circuit going now, but it's really funny. People have tended to now shift, like if they're done with college or they finish their last Olympic trials or whatever it is, a lot of them are shifting into either show diving, like they're in Cirque du Soleil or they're performing on the back of cruise ships or they're migrating into high diving, which is this new event. Like there's the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. You know, high diving is now an event at a lot of the World Cups and World Championships where they're The women are going off of 20 meters, so that's two times what I do, or the men are going off of 27 meters. They, they have to go feet first because you can get really injured going in on your arms. So they have to go feet first. I think off 27 meters, they're hitting at like 60 miles an hour. So it's oh, a wow. really intense, really intense. I have a lot of friends that do it now. And it's it's absolutely incredible to watch. I would never, ever, ever want to try it. But I love watching it. And um, I'm just absolutely in awe of those people. It's, it's like extreme diving is, is essentially what it is. Right. That's um okay, that's the next level. <laughs> that is next it would, level. It would have been literally the next level because <laughs> three meters, maybe i I might try that. Ten meters, probably not. Twenty seven, absolutely not. Well, and there's like <laughs> You know, because there's a big Canadian group now training in Montreal at the big Olympic pool in Montreal, and they have this 20 meters set up in the rafters at the top. And so they dive into the the diving well there, but from the rafters in oh the my ceiling. Goodness. It's amazing. Like go go follow Molly Carlson. She's back there. She's kind of just got on her first circuit as a high diver and, and her journey has been incredible. Right. Well before I'll I do that, I'll follow yourself at <laughs> Lala underscore the underscore diver on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you. So if you go to LauraWilkinson.com, you can find all my social stuff there too. There we go. There we go. You can also find Laura's publications, including a complete step-by-step program. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I had a two-level cervical fusion. So I have a big plate in my neck right now that I got about two and a half years ago, which was really terrifying. But I knew my recovery was going to be long. And so I knew, again, kind of like when I broke my foot, that I would need to focus on the mental side of things. So I took my time and I was like trying to think of all the lessons that I had learned throughout my career and what kind of things could I use going forward coming back from this. And when I was starting to kind of you know, write all that down and put it all together, I realized that there were kind of these little buckets, these little chunks of things. And I I wanted to put it together so that other people could learn that too, because everybody says, oh, you know, sports are like 90% mental and 10% physical, but nobody trains that way. Mm. And so I wanted to give people the opportunity. And a lot of it is because coaches don't know how to teach that. And so I wanted to to provide the opportunity for people to learn how to do that. And so, yeah, I kind of dabbled with with offering that as a course. And I'm going to relaunch it again here probably this fall. And so it's it's been really fun. I've had some Olympians take it and some masters divers, you know, some pro tennis players, all, all kinds of different people. And they've really, they've really enjoyed it. So hopefully that'll be a big help to, to athletes out there. Fantastic. And you've been in the diving game for a while. You've obviously been to multiple Olympic games. You've won lots of medals. You've won national championships as well. And you've probably inspired the next generation, let's be honest. So what are some words of advice you would pass on to young people, particularly young girls that want to get into diving? Just to be brave. Like there's always going to be people who are telling you, you can't, or you're not good enough, or you're not this enough, or, you know, I was always told I'm too old. I'm not the right body type. I'm not this, you know, I got kicked off my high school diving team for being a waste of space. So the point is, if you have dreams or there's something that you want to do, just go after it and don't listen to the people who tell you you can't. It's usually 
their own insecurities that you're hearing come out. So if mm. you have a goal and a dream, believe in that and go after it. And just don't worry about what people are telling you. Just because somebody has a bad opinion doesn't make it truth. So believe in your dreams and fight for them. For sure. Now, did someone really tell you in high school that you're a waste of space on the team? Oh, yes. And he kicked me off and I lost a half a credit as they put me in a study hall. My mom was furious. <laughs> My yeah. goodness. Yeah. Well. So don't believe everything you're told. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I mean, I guess it comes back to what you're saying about inner confidence and inner strength. Yeah. I think you need to tell the listeners a little bit about your own podcast. We're recording on Clean Feed, which is a fine application for audio. And I believe you're a user as well. Is that correct? I am. Yeah, we had a little conversation about that before we started. I was picking your brain. Yeah, so I have a podcast called The Pursuit of Gold, and I absolutely love it. It's so fun to talk with people and to learn their stories. I have athletes and coaches and experts on because I want to provide, you know, not just encouragement and inspiration, but also resources and tools for other athletes out there because I grew up without those resources and tools. And even now as a three-time Olympian coming back to dive again, because I wasn't on their top tier squad, I had zero resources. So when I started this podcast during the pandemic, it gave me a hobby, but it also provided resources to me as well. Like I brought on sports psychologists, I brought on nutritionists, you know, I was talking to amazing legendary athletes like Apollo Ono and getting their nice. insights. So yeah, so I think it's a great opportunity for us to learn. And, and I love talking to people in different sports as well well, because I think we can take things that they've used in different scenarios and bring it into our own, you know, and I, I think it's just very valuable. And, and what you'll learn from all these athletes is that everybody goes through something. Everybody has challenges they have to overcome. And I think that just you know, re-encourages us that like, okay, whatever we're facing, we're not alone. Like this is part of the process. The road is not smooth and straight and easy. It's it's going to be filled with bumps and obstacles, but those are the very things that can make us great, that can raise us to the next level if we let them. Yeah. And that's the thing. Sometimes you have to be a little bit vulnerable to to let go a little bit and then mm -hmm. allow that that growth to happen. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> so there you have it. When you subscribe to this podcast first, Pro Sports Podcasters, make sure you subscribe to The Pursuit of Gold with Laura Wilkinson. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Laura, was there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners? Well, I mean, I guess just kind of along the lines of the advice we were talking about, I just also want to tell people to never give up. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you have a life to live. And wherever you are, whether you're young or you're old or you're just starting something or you're an elite trying to help other people around you, like the little things that you do can make a difference in someone else's life. Like no matter what station of life you're in or what season of life you're in, you can make a difference in somebody else's life around you. And it doesn't take much, just little smiles, encouragements, like don't be the cancer that brings everybody down and be about yourself all the time. Like be there for the people around you because the little things that we do for other people can really change their whole world. And I think that's important because especially in this past year and a half, so many people have fallen into depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and things like that. And we need to remind people that we are here, we care about them, and there is a reason to keep going forward. Yeah, that's the thing. There's always something to to play for, to use a sporting analogy. Like you said, if you're still breathing, you're still in the game. Yeah. There's definitely something to, sh to shoot for. I like that. I like that message a lot. Awesome. So there we have it. Laura Wilkinson, Olympic gold medalist, 
author, champion, champion in life, <laughs> and friend of the show. Thanks so much for having me on. No worries. 